City, please stand and worship with us. Like sweet, sweet honey on my 
Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Turn to somebody and say, my, I'm glad you're here today. Would you do that? And, and then would you look at someone else and say, you really look nice today. <laughs> you can be seated for just a moment. You're a great-looking group, and let me say to all of those who are joining online, thank you for being part of our worship today. It is always a joy to have you as our online family come and to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. Let's give our online family a welcome and to say we are glad you are here. We have uh, two or three, maybe several, that this is your first time here today. And if this is your first time, number one, we want you to know we welcome you and we love you. And uh, that if you'll turn in your connection card at the uh, welcome desk out in the foyer, we will give you a mug filled with Ghirardelli chocolate. And it is worth getting that. So uh, we hope that you can uh, be a part of that today. So there are a lot of, of announcements on your bulletin. We'll talk about them later, but please take a moment. Uh, I would and encourage you not to do it while I'm preaching. I get uh, a complex when people do that. But, uh, uh, but really look at the bulletin, especially on the back. There are some very important dates. Baptismal time coming up the 22nd. Uh, growth tracks is coming up on the 15th and the 22nd that we would love to have. Just a number of you be a part of that. And our big election integrity uh, or our election host committee uh, election day is this Tuesday. We want you to vote. But beyond that, we want you, uh, if you're part of this church, to welcome those in this part of the city that will be voting here. So as we trust the Lord, let's just ask God to meet with us today in an unusual way. I think God wants to do something really special today in your life. Believe me, I believe he does. Lord Jesus, we come and I just pray now that as we lean into all that you are and lean into our worship and lead in, lean into the word and lean into what you are speaking to us today, oh, Father, we just pray, make of this church a great church, a great New Testament church that is reaching our city for Christ. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as many of you can, let's stand together and give God glory. And let's sing together and worship. Every day 
broken hearts declare his praise for who can stop the lord almighty and our god is the lion the lion of judah and he's roaring with power and fighting our battles every knee will bow before him and our god is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world his blood breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him Open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? And our God is lying, the Lion of Judah, and He's roaring with power. stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord? And our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah, and He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Who 
between us I'll hide the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night The darkness, your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished, the end is written Jesus Christ, my living Could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has
peace be unto you. Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Have ye here any meat? These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. powerful clip that as Jesus met with his disciples for the last time he began to speak to them about a promise and a command if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow with me today will you turn with me please to Acts chapter 1 and we're going to um, here in the next few weeks, just look into uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And I want to talk to you this morning about the portrait of a great church. You see, I have a deep prayer for Cap City. I really do. I've had a deep prayer for Cap City long before I uh, served and helped serve as your interim pastor. Uh, even when I was, uh, and Pastor Phil and I were working together, I began to feel in my heart and began to feel in my life and began to feel pulled in my spirit that God wants to make something unusual out of this church that God wants to make something amazing out of this church and that God wants to use this church and he wants to use you to help lead the way in not only reaching our community and our city, but I believe he wants you to lead the way in many ways in seeing uh, a worldwide outreach. You say, David, 
that's so far beyond where we are now. It's okay. Pastor Jonathan will deal with it. But, uh, no. but no, we have this dream together. And here's what I believe. I don't believe God gives a vision to one pastor and he goes this way a little while and then God gives another vision to another pastor and you go this way a little while and then God gives a vision to another pastor and you go this way a little while. I don't believe that's the way it works. Now, I believe some churches do that because they have not understood that God has a vision and a plan for a church. And it's not up to me or whoever to come and say, okay, this is a new vision. No, our role is to come to discover what is God's vision. What is God's plan? What does God want to do in this church? And then we begin to work together alongside with the people of the church and we begin to understand what God wants to do. So the book of Acts is the book that records the history of the early church, one of the most exciting uh, books in all the Bible. And uh, you know, as you could see there in the film clip, that after the resurrection of Christ, that the disciples no doubt were trying to figure out in their mind, okay, now what shall we do? We saw him crucified, we saw him risen, but what do we do now? How can we ever do the work of ministry if Jesus is not with us? And begin to think in their mind, what shall we do to try to reach the world? He wants us to reach the world. We're just a group at that time of 11 disciples and a few followers who were scared to death and they were shut up in rooms because they were afraid their lives were going to be taken as well. And so in the intervening period, there were 40 days that went between the time that Jesus rose from the grave and the time that he ascended back to the Father. There were 40 days. Uh, 40 days, that's why we talk about 40 days of purpose. That's why we talk about 40 days uh, of campaign, 40 days of fasting and prayer, uh, different things. 40 days is a very interesting number uh, in the Bible. And so for 40 days, the Bible says that Jesus met with them from time to time, and he began to help them understand that he was truly alive. I love that clip where he says, why are you afraid? Touch me and behold my hands and see that it is me. It is not someone else. It is me. You watched me die, but look at the, at the nail scars in my hand. Look at the nail scars. Feel where the spear came into my side. He spoke to them and taught them about the kingdom. He made it abundantly clear what their mission was. There was no question what they were to do. They were to go into all the world. And then he talked to them about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not all in your, on the slides, but I want to read out of Acts chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read down through 
uh, verse number 8. Because these are the last recorded words of the Lord Jesus Christ just before he ascended back to glory. Let's, let's begin in verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Let me just tell you, you can go down all kinds of rabbit trails trying to find the answer to that question. It's okay to look, but I want to tell you what, when you get into the depth of it and try to figure it all out, and, and just about the time you think you've got it figured out, God says, no, you don't, uh, because here's what the Bible says. Then he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And not only are they not for us to understand, they are not even for us to know. That's what he says. We just need to be ready. But here's the verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and into the very ends of the earth. Jesus was beginning to take his leave, and he ascended back to heaven. And so the disciples began to think in their own mind, so what shall we do? Jesus had given them two things, and I want you to remember this. He had given them, first of all, a command, and then he gave them a promise. Two things here in chapter 1. He gave them a command, and then he gave them a promise. So after Jesus ascended back to the, to the Father, they went back to the upper room, the same very upper room that they had the Last Supper with Jesus. And there for 10 days, they began to pray. I don't know if they stayed there 10 days or whether they went home and came back 10 days. We don't know all about it, but I do know they were there 10 days. And here's what they were doing. They were praying for the Holy Spirit. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them, don't leave this city until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't go out and try to teach a Sunday school class until you know you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't go out and try to witness until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't go out and try to build a church until you know the power of the Holy Spirit living and abiding and dwelling in your heart and in your mind. Don't do any of that. Wait until you be endued with power from on high. 
What did they do during those times? They prayed. I think what they did was they apologized to one another. Well, how do you know that? Because in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, they were all in one accord. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean they were all stuffed into a Honda. Uh, they were all <laughs> in one accord. Their minds and their hearts had come together. No one had aught against each other. And let me just tell you something. When you have aught against someone, you never experience the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just, just know that. When you won't forgive someone, when you have a grudge against someone, when you do all those kind of things, you'll never know the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they all gathered and they were all there. And the Bible says they all prayed, apologized, waited for the Holy Spirit. And they were all in one accord. If you have your Bible then... Turn to page number or chapter number two. And this is what happened. Oh, what a miracle. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames were of, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Now he goes on to explain this. And at the time there were devout Jews from every nation living in, in Jerusalem and when they heard this loud noise everyone came running and they were bewildered and here's what they heard. These guys were talking languages they'd never learned. They were talking Spanish. They were talking uh, Arabic. They were talking all kinds of languages and they were talking languages they'd never learned and here's what it says. And the people said here we are we, these people are all in from our own native tongue. Here we are. We hear them from Parthia and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the prisoners of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. You try to say all those words. And uh, <laughs> visitors from Rome, both from Jews and converts, Jerusalem, uh, Ju uh, Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And we hear all these people, listen, speaking in our own languages the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed and said, what can this mean? The others in the crowd just ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. Well, what really happened in that time when you go on reading in Acts chapter 2, the church 
of Jesus Christ was born on the day of Pentecost. It was a fellowship. It was unlike anything anyone had ever seen. It is still unlike anything anyone has ever seen. It, I've been in Rotary. It's not a Rotary club. I've been in service clubs. It's not a service club. I've been on athletic teams. It's not an athletic team. I've been where people are. It's not that. I even have a wonderful, wonderful family. We had a beautiful time yesterday as many of us gathered together in our family that hadn't seen each other for uh, many years. And I love the family, and the family is wonderful, but it is not the church. The church is something different. It was a holy fellowship, unlike anything the world had ever seen. It was a mighty army that was marching for God. It was a force for good. It was a refuge for sinners where sinners could come with their lives all messed up and all turned around. And God brings forgiveness and God brings acceptance and God tells them you have a home. You don't, no matter where you've come from or what you've done, you belong here. That's the church. It's a place of worship where we worship God. It's a place of healing where people can find healing for their broken hearts and find healing for their broken bodies. It's a place uh, of, of power. It's a place of miracles. It's a place where God does marvelous things. The church is an amazing thing born of God, not just this church, but the church across the world. And we are part of the body of Christ, and we are part of that fellowship because we belong to Jesus. Christ. What a beautiful, yeah, give God praise for that. We are part of that. There are eight characteristics, and I'm not going to just be okay. I'm not going to preach to you about all eight today. But there are eight great characteristics of a great church as we see it in Acts. I'll give them to you sometime later. They're not all up here, but I just want to mention that a great church is fully persuaded that Jesus is alive. Are you persuaded this morning that Jesus is alive? He is not somewhere in some musty tomb. He is alive and alive forevermore. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. You've got to be convinced and persuaded deep in your soul that Jesus is alive and that he walks in among and around the people and he's here to bless his people. A great church fully understands its mission. They don't just, it, it's not about who can build the biggest church, that's not the mission. Who, who can have the most people? That's not the mission. Who can have the most fun? That's not the mission. Who, who, can, who can outdo the other? That's not the mission. Let me tell you what the mission is. The mission is to take Jesus to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And no matter how big we get, if we're not doing that, we are not doing the will of God. No matter how much we enjoy sitting around talking to each other, unless we are helping people find God, find freedom, find purpose, and find fulfillment, 
we're all just sort of gathered here as kind of a holy club. That is not the church. A great church eagerly awaits the return of Christ. Just because we don't understand all the things that will happen before Christ comes, let me tell you what, I am the older I grow, and the more I see where our world is, I'm looking for the day when he's going to split the eastern sky and he's going to take us home and there will not be any sorrow or sin or tears or death or all of these things that cause such awful things. Uh, we all have wonderful political uh, ideas and all of that, but let me tell you what, the real hope for the church of Jesus Christ is when Jesus comes again, he's going to set it all right. Just know that. A great church understands the importance of prayer. You look through this book of Acts and you read through it and read through it and read through it and you begin to understand that the, a great church prays greatly. When a church quits praying, the power of God begins to dry up. A great church, and I'm praying the Cap City will even go further and further in understanding the power of prayer and understanding what happens when we pray. I, we were having prayer meeting uh, just the other day, and someone said, I want to just give a note of praise. I believe it was Carolyn. She said, we've been praying for a member of my family and I want you to know, ever since we started praying, he got better. I said, oh, that's praise God. So, oh, that's just coincidence. Here's all I know. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. So you figure it out. But I just want you to know they understand the power of prayer. A great church lives in one accord. They don't let the petty things. Well, I don't like the color of that carpet. Well, get over it. It'll be okay. Oh, David, I don't like those little bottles on that offering, on that altar. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. And we do our best to love one another. And we do our best to put away those things that divide us. And we do our best to say and try to take into consideration what everyone is saying and try to understand under the leadership and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to live in one accord. A great church is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that for just a few minutes. A great church testifies with power to an unbelieving world. I heard this last week in a ministerial convention. Pastor Deb was there, Eric was there, Ed and Nan were there, Connie and I were there. And I think it was uh, our district superintendent, Gary Heimbach, who stood up and said, I am sick and tired of living my life in fear. I'm sick and tired of worrying about everything that comes down the road. I'm sick and tired of living this way, and I want God to give me something of power that whatever comes, comes. I'm not saying that we're all going to be immune from everything, but I just don't want to be afraid of it all, all the time. Fear is the very problem that we face, and a great church testifies to the world with a power of, of grace. A great church experiences 
a holy fellowship. I'm going to preach to you about this on the 22nd, about what the holy fellowship, what it looks like, what it means, why it's different than any other thing you will do in your life. It's different than going to the union hall. It's different than going uh, to march in a crusade. It's different than any other thing in the world. It is divine. It is given by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a holy fellowship that we live in that no one can understand apart from Christ. When I read these things, I want you to know there is a longing and there has been a longing in my heart for many, many years to see a church truly become a great church in the eyes of Almighty God. I want to just speak to you a moment about how this all begins and Jesus began with a command. And this is what he said. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It all begins in a spirit-filled life. I want you to notice the people that Jesus addressed. I want you to notice the people that, that he was talking to. He was not talking to the sinners. He was not talking to the Pharisees. He was not talking to evildoers. He was not talking to uh, people who were living far away from God. He was talking to his disciples. He was saying to those disciples, you have followed me. You have seen me. You are not like the rest of the world. You have put your trust in me. You have experienced my grace. Your names, this is what he said, your names are already written in the Lamb's book of life and written in heaven. You have the power, and they did. They would go out and preach, and demons were subject to them. They would go out, and they were the ones that faithfully followed to Jesus. He was saying, be filled with the Spirit, not to the most horrible sinner, but to the most faithful saint. Let that sink into your mind. He was not speaking to the crowds here. He was speaking to those who had followed him, those who were close to him, those who knew him best. And he said to them, but I want you to understand, do not leave Jerusalem until you tarry and are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the reasons he gave this command. Why did he give this command? Well, the first is because they were weak. Now, just let it sink in. 
They had followed after Jesus. They had watched his miracles. They watched him do all kinds of things, feed 5,000. They had watched him calm a storm. They had watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. They had watched him over and over and over again. They followed close to him and they followed with him, but there was something within them that was still very, very weak. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, as soon as someone started to say when Jesus had, had the cross, you were with them, they all got lockjaw. And the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. They didn't have power. They believed in Jesus. They knew that Christ was the Savior. They said that over and over. But they didn't have power within. They were weak. And when they, they tried to do things for God, they were just plain weak. You remember one time they said, Lord, this boy comes and the father brought him and they threw him down in the fire and, and I brought him to your disciples and, 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 and we thought they could heal him, but Lord, they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, how long do I have to bear with you and, and, and cast the evil one out? And later the disciples came and said, why couldn't we do that? Because you were weak. Not only were they weak, they were self-seeking. How many times did Jesus grieve over them? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Even James and John took their mother, think about that, took their mother to Jesus and said, the mother said, I just want a little favor. What's that? Uh, when you become king, I want James to sit on one side and John on the other. And Jesus looks at you have no idea what you're asking. But they're all worried about who's going to be the best, who's going to be the biggest, who's going to be the greatest, and, and I want to be the greatest, and how come he got to do that and I didn't get to do that, and why can't I do this, and why am I not able to do this, and, and all the things that went on and the arguments and all of the different things, they were very self-seeking. They were often at odds with each other. They argued over the craziest things. They couldn't get together. They couldn't understand until Jesus had to tell them, you don't understand what leadership is. Leadership is not being a lord over people, but leadership is serving people. Watch me as I wash your feet and as I serve you. He that's going to be the greatest should be the least. He that is going to be the one that is first in the kingdom is going to be last. It's not about what you can do. They argued, and they were cowardly, and they were filled with fear. This is a biblical term. Some of you may understand it. Some of you may not, but they were carnal. You say, well, what's that mean? That means... God had forgiven them, but there was a selfish motive down in their heart. They wanted their way as bad as they wanted God's way, and they had no power to live above the things of sin. For these reasons, Jesus said, I don't want you to leave. You're not ready. 
you're not ready. There's something still down inside of you that needs to be surrendered. And the power of the Holy Spirit needs to come upon you. That was the command. Then look at the promise. And here's what he said. But when you shall receive, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Power to purify your heart of things like pride and anger and pride and self-will and rebellion and stubbornness and sometimes being up and sometimes being down and one day being victorious and the next day being, being under victorious and, and one day you feel that God is, is really on you and the next day you think, I I'm just a wretch, I can't do anything. I will give you power and I will purify your heart. I will give you power to live a victorious life. Whatever the circumstances come, whatever you have to face, just know the Holy Spirit will come. He will empower you with power from on high. He will come and fill you with such a power that whatever anyone else does, you can be victorious. I'm not saying you're always joyfully happy, but you can be victorious and you don't have to stay in the defeat realm all your life. He's going to give us power to do the work of ministry. How do you explain the difference of Peter standing beside a fire and a little servant girl said, I know you. I don't know him. I don't know him. And somebody else came by and said, your speech betrays you. You, you knew him. I know him. I don't know him. I never heard of him. If I one more, weren't you with him? And he began to curse and swear and carry on, and he realized what he'd done, and he went out and wept bitterly. How do you describe what happened to these disciples that were always arguing about who is going to be the greatest and why can't I be the best and why can't I be the greatest and why can't I be the top dog and why is James and John and Peter, why is he uh, Jesus' favorite and, and how come we don't get to go on the Mount of Transfiguration and how come all of these things don't happen? What, why? But after the day of Pentecost, that same Peter stood up in the face of a murderous mob and said, you killed Jesus. You're in big trouble. God's going to judge you. And the only thing you can do is repent and turn to the Lord. And they were pierced in their heart and said, men and brothers, what shall we do? And they said, repent. And that day, 3,000 people came to Christ. Whoa. We had a nice Sunday on Easter, but we didn't have 3,000. I'm telling you, wouldn't that have been something? It had been great. The power of the Holy Spirit. Go on a little further. 
When you begin to understand after the day of Pentecost, they never again argued. Never again argued about who was going to be the greatest. After the day of Pentecost, they never did again call fire down on people or be uh, people like Jesus said, what kind of spirit? Something happened to these disciples on the day of Pentecost that changed all of their lives. They had known Christ, but somehow now they were filled with a power that was on high, and every one of them went to their death and had power to witness to the living reality of Christ. Let me just say this. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to every believer today. I want you to know that. People who really want to make a difference in this world with their hearts and their lives need to seek the experience of the mighty power of God in their lives. The sanctifying work of God the Spirit brings the power of God of a pure heart. And the Holy Spirit provides power to minister to a broken world and entrusting us with spiritual gifts. And He can make a difference in the world. Let me tell you my story. Many of you have heard me tell when I was 16 years of age, I came to this altar, and X doesn't mark the spot. I haven't done that yet, but I know where it is. And God wonderfully, marvelously forgave me and saved me. I knew that. I didn't need an angel to come to tell me that God had forgiven me. I knew that. As I began to walk with the Lord for several weeks, there seemed to be a battle going on inside of me that I couldn't explain. Part of me wanted to serve God. Part of me didn't want anything to do with it. Part of me wanted to be nice to everybody, and the other part of me wanted to get in fights with somebody. Part of me wanted to just live the best I could live, but there was another part of me I didn't understand, and I thought, man, what is wrong with me? And so we went to a revival service. My mom and dad sang in a group, and I was singing with them at that time, and we went to a church at, in the northern part of Columbus it's called North Columbus Church. And I heard this guy preach. I was sitting on the second row, Betty, just about where you are, just, just about in the same place. Not in the trunk, but in the car there. <laughs> That's a long story. Her husband put her in the trunk, but she's out. And uh, so I was sitting about where Betty was. And this old guy started preaching. And he started saying, some of you have a double mind. Oh, yeah, I do. Some of you, some days you want to serve God, some days you don't. Yeah, somebody's been telling this guy about me. I don't know what's going on here. And when you have a chance to witness to somebody, you get locked jaw, and your mouth gets all filled with cotton, and you're afraid to say anything. I thought, boy, this guy, mom must have gone and talked to this guy. I don't know what in the world. 
And he kept preaching and preaching. He said, I want you to know that God can do something in your life, in the believer's life. He can fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you power. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're never going to have battles again. It doesn't mean you're never going to have temptation again. But what it does mean is that God will give you power and can put something in your heart that wants to do the will of God more than anything else in the the world. I was sitting there that day. I'm sure it's a little bit like some of the way you guys are. I said, Lord, I have no idea what this man's talking about. I was raised in a good church, holiness church all my life, but I had no idea what he's talking about. But whatever he's talking about, I need that. And I said, Lord, as soon as that guy gets done preaching, I'm going to go to the altar, and I'm going to pray that, Lord, whatever that is, I want that. I need power in my life. He kept on preaching and preaching, just like some of you think, David, will you ever get done? He just kept on preaching and preaching. I finally got a point to where I was a little impatient. I didn't think I ought to mess up the service. So I just bowed my head right where I was. I said, God, this guy's describing me up and down. I know you've forgiven me. I know my sins are forgiven. But I also know there's something in my heart that I don't understand. And he says, you can purify my heart. He says that you can give me power to witness to my friends and that I can do the work of ministry and that I can live a life that's pure before you. And Lord, I can't do any of this. I need that. Lord, I just give you myself. And Lord, whatever it takes, will you just fill me with your Holy Spirit? That day, I'm telling you that day, I felt a fire go from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. It was real. I didn't turn somersaults. I couldn't, I couldn't turn somersaults before. I couldn't turn them now. You know, I didn't turn somersaults. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't do any of that. But I knew deep in my heart Something had happened, and something had changed, and something with the infilling work of the Holy Spirit came in. And when I went back to school the next week, and I saw some of my friends, I started to tell them, you know, something really wonderful happened to me in my life. I was shocked at myself. What was it? I gave my life to Jesus. You did? What a stupid thing to do. No, it's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. Really? Yeah. I was in high school. I told this to my Bible study a year ago. I was a junior when I got saved at Marion Franklin High School. And my senior year by that time... People knew that I'd given my life to Christ, and they knew even because in the next, that same week, God called me to preach. And so they kind of knew where I was headed. 
And one of the best compliments ever given to me, I guess, by my one of my friends that one day in my senior year, they called my name and said, David Dean, will you report to the principal's office? And I thought, oh my goodness. And one of them said at first, David got in trouble. And then they looked at each other and said, nah, I don't know what it is, but he didn't get in trouble. And that was just because they had seen the kind of life I was living. I don't even remember what that was about. But we were walking one day. I played football, but I didn't play basketball. And the basketball team was in a big tournament. And uh, I think they were playing for the regional championship. And um, one of my instructors, I won't mention his name. Some of you may know him here. You went to, to Marion Franklin, too. I won't mention his name. He taught math. He's a very tall German guy. If you know who that is, then you know who that is. He caught me in the hallway as we were going to a pep rally. You have to understand, I was so ashamed to talk about Jesus. I was so ashamed to talk about Christ. I mean, I, I, was, I was a bigger coward than any one of these disciples. And, Mr. Oh, and the teacher said, started to call his name, David, you have connections with people above. We want you to pray at our pep rally. And I said, pray at a pep rally? I said, I never heard anybody pray at a pep rally before. He said, yes, we want you to pray at our pep rally. And so I thought, this is weird. And so we go into the big old gym at Marion Franklin, and the cheerleaders are doing all their things, jumping up and down, the band's blaring, and everybody's in the team sitting in the front. And so they're all leading in cheers. And so finally Mr. our instructor, I'm going to say his name before it's over, gets up and says, you all know David Dean. David Dean loves God, and David Dean's called to preach, and David Dean's, his life's changed a great deal, and David has a connection with God, and we want him to come because we need divine help to win this game tonight. I thought, oh, my Lord. I thought I'm not going to pray for that. And a guy who was scared to death, and so embarrassed about his fact that his family was all in church, I walked up to the microphone. I don't know how I did it. It wasn't me. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I said, will you all pray? I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that place. And I prayed, dear God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all this. And Lord, I pray you'll help people not to get hurt tonight. And if we win, help us to celebrate in the right way. And if we lose, help us to do it all together. Amen. I mean, it killed the pep rally. I mean, <laughs> the band couldn't play. The cheerleaders couldn't cheer. The guys looked, and we lost the game. And so uh, some of them still blame me for that. What made the difference? It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled me to do this. One last story, and then I'm going to uh, uh, have uh, uh, something we're going to close in a way we've never closed before that I know of. But I was preaching at our little Valley View church over on the west side of Columbus where Pastor Deb and Tom came from. This is back when Doug and Lisa Reed, I, I don't see them here today, but uh, Doug and Lisa Reed's dad pastored, uh, Doug Reed's dad, Jim, was pastoring the Valley View Church. Little old place was just packed. It was the last night of the revival meeting. 
And I stood up and I was preaching about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I began to talk to them about that God can do something in your life and God can do something remarkable and give you power over sin and give you power over all the things that seem to, to, to bind you down. Doesn't mean you're not going to have victory or problems, but he'll give you power to be victorious. And so I quoted this song by John Church who was a camp meeting preacher. Some of you wouldn't recognize that name, but he said, there are some people, that, there's a song that we sing that says, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. But John Church said there are a lot of people who don't sing it that way. They sing it like this. Lord Jesus, I long to be almost whole. I want you to break down a few of my idols and cast out most of my foes. And Lord, I want you to wash me, not really white, but I'll be almost as white as snow. And I watched people begin to weep in that crowd, and I'm going to tell you what I told them that night. I want to tell you, I said to them, if I'm talking to you this morning and you feel like you're good enough the way you are, you're feeling like, I'm okay, I don't need to worry about this. If you're just okay with having like the old uh, uh, commercial would say, a little dab will do you, uh, you know, and some of you are too young way to ever remember that. If it's just a little dabble, do you? I want you to know something. I'm not talking to you. But if I'm talking to you and there is a burning desire in your heart, I want everything God has for me. I want to know not only the forgiveness of sin, I want to know what it means to be filled with the power of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit where he can give me power. I want the very best that God has. And when I was saying that to the people at Valley View, I'll never forget it. Oops, sorry. That's not what I want. There we go. While I was saying that to those people in Valley View, I said, unless you want the best, I'm not talking to you. If you have to struggle over, oh, I'm not sure I want to, I'm not talking to you. But if I'm talking to people that there is a deep hunger in your heart, I want everything God has for me. I'm so hungry. I'm so tired of being weak. I'm so tired of being uh, uh, cowardly. I'm so tired of not having power in my life. I want God's best. And when I said this, this little old lady right over here sitting about where uh, Shirley Williams is sitting, she got up. And she said, Brother David, you're talking to me. 
I don't care if anybody else comes. I want all that God has for me. And when she came to the altar, the whole church just, I mean, it emptied out. And I watched people go, wow. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a video. And our, our guys are going to come up and they're going to help with the, with the, because their, our group is learning it, but they haven't learned it yet totally. And so they're going to sing it sometime else. But the name of this song says, I Speak Jesus. How many of you know that song? Have you ever heard that song? Yeah, we got a few here and there. Yeah, I Speak Jesus. And in that verse, it says, I want to speak Jesus over every heart and mind. I want to speak Jesus until every dark addiction, every dark addiction is broken. I want to speak Jesus over those held captive by depression. I want to speak Jesus who feel like they have no power in their lives. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this together. Guys, can you just make your way out here somewhere and and uh, I know they won't leave me alone. They're, they're coming somewhere, I know. <laughs> but here's what's going to happen. If you don't know this song, listen to it. If you do know this song, sing it. And if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, are you tired of living a defeated life? Are you tired of living a life where you have no power, you don't, you can't really do what God's wanting you to do. You say, Pastor, I don't understand all this. I know. I understand it either. Pastor, I don't have all the theological ramifications worked out. Neither do I. All I knew is what that guy was preaching that day I needed. And if there is something deep in your heart that is saying, I know I'm forgiven, but I know there is something more. If you want to come and pray, we'll pray with you. If you just want to sing and rejoice, we'll rejoice with you. But I'm going to tell you what I know tonight. Some of you can leave this place never to be the same again. As they start the video, Father, I pray today I've done the best I know how to make it as simple as I know how. And Lord, we just want to speak Jesus over this crowd. Lord, we want to give attention to your command. We want to give attention to your promise. Lord, I'm so weary of being weak. I'm so weary. And Lord, maybe even some of those who sought you many years ago, but they've slipped back into a weakness and they just need to be re-infused and refilled and, and, and re-blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we'll never see a great church born until we know the power of the Holy Spirit just now. Amen. Will you stand with me and we're going to sing this together. And I believe the words will be on the... And if you're hungry this morning, if you've got a burden that you can't bear this morning, if you've got an addiction that won't break this morning, if you've got a situation that's bigger than you know, we want to speak Jesus over you today. And I want to tell you what, God will meet you. Just, if you know it, sing it.
Praise God. Woo! <laughs> you may be seated. Oh, I don't know what it was like on the day of Pentecost, but it might have been something a little like this. I don't know. Woo! I want to tell you what. We can speak the name of Jesus. <laughs> We can speak the name of Jesus over every dark enemy, over every affliction. We can speak the name of Jesus. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. I think we ought to give God a great clap on Father, we just thank you this morning for 
a visitation from on high. It's not what I can do. It's not what we can do, but it's what you do for us. Lord, I know some of those that were standing in front of this altar. And Lord, we speak Jesus to their needs. We speak Jesus to their healing, to their freedom, to their anointing. Uh, I speak Jesus to the things that hold them back. I speak Jesus in a way that their lives will never, ever be the same. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Someone said you ought to, times like this, you ought to do something religious. So you take an offering. <laughs> There's just such a holy hush of God in this place today. Ushers, will you come forward, please? And we'll wait on you for your tithes and offerings. Use your connection cards to put prayer requests, prayer needs. And I just want to thank all of you today for joining us online. And we just want to say to you, thank you for joining us today. I pray that you could feel the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're hungry for the power of the Spirit in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you and follow up with you. God bless you. Father, bless this offering. Bless all of those today who have to give and those who can't. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless and multiply these offerings until such time as, Lord, all the needs of the church are met. In Jesus' name, amen. Just hold on just a second. I'm going to make an announcement. So, while they're taking this offering and then the worship team.